0: And welcome to another bite where we rewatch the most innovative and intriguing pitches from Shark Tank. I'm Jory and I'm joined by Ariel. Hey friends and John. Hey, what's up? Ariel once said, I want to be where the people are. She wants to see them walking, dancing, strolling spiking? No, that can't be right. Luckily for our Ariel, she could just leave her apartment and go to the beach. But after taking a look at today's product, will John, our resident spike ball connoisseur, want to be part of their world? We'll see after this brief sponsored break. There's no secret formula for better service throughout the customer journey, but there is the all new service hub from HubSpot. It makes it infinitely easier to scale customer support and increase retention. By bringing service and support together in one powerful platform, you can deliver the best experiences for your customers and your teams. Free up time for your reps to focus on complex issues with an AI-powered help desk. Proactively drive retention with customer health scores that help keep your business ahead and give your entire go-to-market team the data they need to operate as one unified powerful front. Also, you can easily support, strengthen, and grow your customer base. Secrets out, HubSpot Service Hub is a game changer. Visit hubspot.com slash service to do more for your customers today. So today's product is Paddle Smash. And Paddle Smash is brought to us by not founders, we'll get into it, but by investors Tim and Scott. And Tim and Scott are asking for $250,000 for 10% in the Paddle Smash company, which is a $2.5 million valuation. Now, their product is sort of described as the love child of pickleball and spikeball. So if you can think about a spikeball court, which is essentially like a small trampoline you put on the beach and you, you throw a ball at it, it's like they put a large cone on top of this and then handed all the players paddles. And they were like, voila, paddle smash. So this is essentially a beach game that's kind of been like repackaged. And it is an interesting mixture between pickleball and spikeball, actually invented by a man named Joe Biggum, who's a structural engineer that approached Tim and Scott because they know a thing or two about games and putting them into the retail space. So they license the rates for the games. So thinking about Paddle Smash, our product, and our pitch, and our investors slash founders, what are our thoughts of Paddle Smash? John, I kind of want you to go first on this. Yeah, because you were so into Spikeball. I
1: love (laughs) Spikeball because I knew Chris, who was the founder of Spikeball you know, when I was living in Chicago and him and I talked marketing for Spikeball way back in the day. So I have a lot of Spikeball love. Yeah. And it was amazing to hear, by the way, Mark Cuban call out in this episode, like, oh, passing on Spikeball was one of the biggest mistakes I made on this show and the show history. That was really cool to hear. (laughs) We love regret. So I love this. I love the idea (laughs) of portable pickleball. Mm. And I'm actually going to categorize this more as a pickleball game than a spikeball game because the pickleball hmm. market is so much hotter and so much bigger. Mm-hmm. I kind of hated when the founders did that creepy dance where they said that pickleball and spikeball like had a baby and both yeah, of them were the like, the love Ew. child
0: is a paddle smash. Yeah, it was funny and then it kept going and then it was awkward. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: The reason I really like this game is because I love the idea of a business that drafts off of community movements. Mm -hmm. I think community-led growth is an incredibly powerful go-to-market. It's just so hard because building community takes a really long time and needs to be the confluence of a whole bunch of things. In my mind, there are kind of three things that you would be looking for if you're looking to evaluate the strength of a community for community-led growth, go-to-market. You'd be looking for numbers. You need a lot of people in the community. Spikeball has like 4 million to 5 million players. Pickleball has like 37 million players just in the U.S. So that pickleball is on fire.
0: Everyone's talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
1: that's the second thing you need, Jory, is you need word of mouth. Hmm. If any of your friends play pickleball, they have told you that they play pickleball. Yes,
0: that's everyone's
2: mm-hmm. fun fact <laughs> in like the last few meetings I've been in. Yeah. This is my quirky hobby. Yep. I play pickleball. Do you play
1: pickleball? I play pickleball. Oh, my God. I play pickleball, yes. too. Do you play? Let's join a league, you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> And the last thing you need, I think, for community-led go-to-market to really work is you need the product that the people are passionate about to have strong retention. You need them to, like, play that thing a lot or use that thing a lot. And so to me, I'm just like, wow, they're tapping into this incredible community movement, and it fits right into this niche where with Spikeball, eventually you get too old to, like, dive for the ball with your hand because you're going to like break Mm. yourself or you don't have a beach. And with pickleball, like you don't have a court in your backyard. And so this like fits right in. You can put it in your backyard, uses equipment that you already have and skills that you already have developed through pickleball. And everyone's tried pickleball now. And so for me, it's like perfect. And I would go all in and fund it.
2: I'm not going to lie. When I first saw the product, I did have to look up Spikeball. So Pickleball started in the 1960s. Oh, Peak popularity started rising around 2021, 2022 to where it is today. There's a ton of high-profile investors within this space, like LeBron James, Drew Brees, even Gary Vaynerchuk. Hmm. So there's a lot of popularity for this product. My only question, when something is this popular and trending, does it have the longevity to continue selling on the shelves? Because yeah. I think right now it's a really hot item. Mm -hmm. That analogy of the marrying of the love child. I know we didn't approve of the dance, (laughs) but I I see that being such a strong angle for them.
0: How would you go into leveraging that community and marketing this to that community when it's the product the community is looking for, but not quite? How would you address that as a challenge?
2: I would host little regional tournaments mm-hmm. and have your community show up and have little teams and sponsor them at parks or like events that are high visibility, high foot traffic areas to show one, the easeability for how portable it is. And two, just to get those easy eyeballs and awareness. But then you're also tapping into that community, doing what they love the
1: most. You know, and that was a big part of Spikeball's go-to-market. Right. They actually had all these regional tournaments and, like, they didn't even mm-hmm. organize most of them. The community organized them, which is why, like, you get such good juju around, like, their community.
2: When our entrepreneurs came in and they said, yeah, we want to leverage this towards marketing dollars, I actually think trade dollars here would make more sense. Mm. So, leading into, are you getting proper display or are you being included when Dix has their back-to-school season and you have prominent front-in-store placement I'm so curious to see if they continue to lean into the community route or if they're going to lean maybe a little bit more into some of those promotional opportunities with some of these bigger brands. Because I do think knowing if they have such a solid footing in the community, it's almost like, how do you find that right balance of distribution for awareness besides just putting it all in on one hyper niche community? Because you run into that risk that you'll have like these super fans that are very niched in and there's not as much awareness over time to the broader market.
0: It does seem like this is already generating a lot of interest. As they start to dive into the numbers, it launched nine months ago. This was a recent episode, and they've made $700,000 so far. So one thing that you mentioned, Ariel, is making sure that they're spending their dollars wisely as they're partnering with big names like Dix and Shields and Academy Sports. They're also selling direct to consumers. Mm -hmm. But I was curious if when it comes to that awareness, if they're kind of safe from that because they are leveraging social media marketing. And I see this as such a big thing that could go viral on TikTok not to say social media isn't intimate, but you need to have more of a closer tie
2: into that community through different means of doing so. So whether that's PR and focusing on summer events or partnerships with local beaches or parks Mm. or things like that to really tap into the community. One click deeper, I think is really important. I think folks often say social media, social media, but our attention span on social media, we consume so much content to really break through and resonate is way more challenging now than it has been in the last decade. So I think they have to be a little bit more creative in the way that they go to market outside of just social media, which sounds like that they're doing.
1: They were kind of like, hey, we found the silver bullet for our business and it's social media marketing. And I think that probably means that they're doing direct to consumer direct response advertising Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. social media. And they're probably putting a lot of their money into that. And to Ariel's point, the consequences of all the saturation on social media and all of the social fatigue and lack of clicking basically means that. Scaling your direct-to-consumer business entirely on social media advertising is a pretty tough game right it's now. It's expensive. the main reason that a lot of direct-to-consumer brands have really struggled over the past few years is the unit economics have kind of fallen off a cliff in direct to consumer. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not surprised early days that this is a formula that's working for them, but I would anticipate that that formula will dry up pretty quick.
0: Mm. And so I
1: think it's very smart that they've gone into retail channels and are considering other plays. And I think Ariel's advice about thinking about social media more holistically is really good advice.
0: Thank you. So I have to ask, John, you mentioned that this is something that you might want to think about as a gift. It's 200 bucks. Are you buying it this holiday season? You know,
1: I think my kids are honestly a little young. Yeah. Okay.
0: Maybe in the future. I
1: think in order for me to buy Paddle Smash, I'd need to have friends.
0: Fair. (laughs) Hashtag dad life.
2: (laughs) Hashtag
1: young dad life doesn't necessarily (laughs) lead to that, but- It would be very easy to imagine at a slightly different point in our lives saying, oh, we're totally going to get this and start playing it as a family.
0: Ariel, is this a smash for you or a trash? I totally would. The portability factor is huge to me. The
1: packaging was cool. Yeah, It like folds right up into its own case. It's really cool.
0: I definitely would. Well, you're not the only two that were interested in Paddle Smash, because as John teed up, we had Mark and Robert, who are just like the owners casually of a pickleball pro team. Didn't know it was this big, but apparently it is. So Kevin kind of tried to get in the races there. But ultimately, Mark and Robert offered $250,000 for 20% of their business. And this was definitely the dream shark duo for our entrepreneurs as a deal was closed with Mark and Robert. So they walked away with a Shark Tank deal, which is awesome. Congrats. Paddle smash. You smashed it. But would you two invest if you were in your Sharky game? Would you follow in Mark and Robert's footsteps not owning a pickleball team? I would. I'd up the retail price
2: knowing, though, that the founder of the product gets like 5% in net sales. I would actually mm-hmm. up this to like two forty nine ninety nine, so that way I could get a little Ariel, bit
1: more. extra sharky. <laughs> I would invest. This one, I would invest. I'm cheering for them.
0: We shall see, I guess, on how long-term successful they are. I feel like Paddle Smash will be with us for the foreseeable future.
1: Paddle Smash <laughs> will give off that paddle cash.
0: <laughs> oh, missed opportunities. <laughs> Today's episode was written and produced by the mythical Matthew Brown. Additional support comes from Melanie Romero and editing from Robert Hartwig. If you're a fan of the show, even if you're not a fan of the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is the best way to support the show. That does it for me. We'll see you next episode here in the tank for another bite. Create Like the Greats, hosted by Ross Simmons, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Each episode hosts an in-depth analysis of some of the greatest creations and creators of all time, along with deep dive conversations on the creative process that went into building companies and brands. If you like learning about history or learning about the creative process, you'll like this podcast. Listen to Create Like the Greats wherever you get your podcasts.